Hey everyone, Bill Giannone here. Welcome back to another CrustCast. Uh, today's CrustCast is part of my four-part series on how do you measure up. And I told you we're going to do four parts of a project cycle. We've already done the marketing um, measuring blog. And I encourage you, if you haven't done so, to check that one out before you proceed with this one, because they are very linear and some of the things I've already talked about are going to make a lot more sense on the sales side once you um, listen to the marketing. So that said, let's get into it. Um, this blog series is about how you establish good KPIs and how you measure success in your business at each different aspect. Today is going to be about sales. And for most of us, we think that's where everything starts and ends and how well we can sign up work, right? Because if you don't sign up work, you don't make any money. So I'm here to tell you that sales is the most important part of the job when it comes time to get the work off signed. <laughs> I'm not trying to be facetious or funny, but I'm a believer that if you break your company down into several different parts, it's more of a wheel than it is linear. Every single part is codependent on the other. And no matter where you are in that part of the process, that's the most important part. So to me, if we're going to talk about sales being the most important, okay, that's a little biased. But let's just say right now, since that's the blog we're talking about, and that's where we are in the in the cycle of a, of a job, we're going to treat it as such. How do you measure the success of your sales? This seems like an easy question, right? If my salesman can't sell, I get rid of them. Okay, great. How do you know if they sell or not? How do you measure them? I could tell you, I know companies who keep salesmen on for years because they're looking at the revenue and they're saying, my guy is great. He signs everything up. And we did $2 million in mitigation last year. When I start diving into the numbers and I start looking at other things like how many leads came into the company and how big those jobs are that add up to the $2 million, and how many of those jobs were one-offs. And by well, one-offs, I mean, did you have like a little regional cat where for a week you got swarmed with business? Or did you have a large loss where a hotel called you up because they saw you on the internet and you did a $200,000 job, those are one-offs. So I factor all that out, and then I look at closing percentages, and I look at how many leads came in, and I'm like, um, this guy's not bringing in $2 million. He's costing you a million. But you know what? If you don't know what you're looking for, it's hard to make that decision. That old expression absolutely is true when it comes to how do we analyze and establish good KPIs, key performance indicators. And that old adage is you don't know what you don't know. If you're only tracking revenue, and that's how you're looking at the success or failure of a salesman, you're only looking at the one thing, believe it or not, that is the least reflective of every number in your company on your salesman's true effectiveness. That is the least telling of all the numbers that we're going to talk about. I'm going to give you a couple of numbers that you have to be tracking. And if you're not, you better get the software. You better figure out how you're going to track them. 
again, I talk about this a lot. I work with over a dozen Crest members around the country, and I'm the guy who works on the admin part. I'm the guy who works on the finance part. So I'm the guy who cares about numbers. I'm the numbers guy. I know the things that I like to look at that I know bring value to my ability to make good, substantial adjustments within a company to help them steer in a better direction. And I'm telling you, overall revenue is one of the last things we look at. So what do we look at? Okay. First thing I want to look at is their on-time response rate. A lead comes into the company. If you are advertising 60-minute response time, 90-minute response time, whatever it is that your company's advertising, either on the internet or wherever you're letting people know, we'll be out there right away. You need to live up to that. Your salesman, when the call comes to them, once they get the lead, you need to be clocking how long is it between that second and the second that they walk in the lead source, the leads door. You need to know that number. And I mean, you need to know that number down to the minute. Many of our customers use Dash and Dash has a whole bunch of things that are called compliance tasks. Okay. A lot of software packages have similar things. They're just job responsibilities. So most of the Crest clients that I work with have the job responsibilities set up so that when a call comes in, as soon as it gets assigned to the salesman, an entry goes into Dash for that new prospective lead. Right? Again, if I'm saying something that sounds foreign, make sure you give me a call because if you're not using any kind of lead tracking or job tracking software, you need to. So generally speaking, every time a lead comes into your company, somebody in your company should be responsible for entering all that data and information into a job profile program. Okay, we do it in Dash. And a lot of the clients I work with use Dash. So the lead gets generated into Dash. That lead, once it's sent to the salesman, there's a timestamp on that. The salesman then has a responsibility that when he gets to the front door of the client, I, I say the term front door, but when he parks the car and turns it off, he is supposed to go into that program and he's supposed to click the thing that says arrive on site. That would be a, what I call before a compliance task. Arrive on site tells me the period of time between when he got the lead and when he shows up on site. We track that. We need to make sure that that number is as low as humanly possible for your area. Some areas, it's not possible to do it in 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, depending on the proximity. If you're a very rural restoration company and you've got a, a marketplace that could be a 90-minute span in every direction, then you have to be sensitive to that. If you're in a big city like New York City or Atlanta, where there's a ton of traffic, you might be five miles away and it might take you 40 minutes. So that, you know, we have to determine that for your own company, but you should have a pretty good idea on what your timing is. And basically you just say in your head, how long would it take me to get there if I got the call? That should be the same expectation for your salesman. So you need to know what that number is. I like the idea of keeping it under an hour. For every five minutes that you're late 
to that homeowner, your chances of signing that job go down significantly. If you show up an hour late, your chances of signing that job went down by 50%. If you tell them we'll be out there within the hour and you're not there for two hours, they've already lost faith in you. You've lost any trust or credibility that you could possibly build. So that's why initial response is a really important way to judge salesman's abilities. You noticed I didn't talk about any revenue yet, right? Because I just brought up situations where you're losing the opportunity to even sign the job up, but you don't know that because you're not tracking that. Okay. Next thing I want to do is I want to track closing percentage. I gave the example before. Once I started analyzing the lead generation as compared to the revenue that the owner thought he was all excited because he was getting 2 million. When I looked at how many leads were being generated for that salesman, I determined that he probably should have sold close to $3 million of work, but he was only closing 55% of his leads. Now in the previous blog, I talked about lead generation and closing percentages for marketers. And I said, when marketers first start generating leads, their closing ratio is probably going to be about 55%. But I also said, once they mature into year two, it's going to get closer to 70%. So I want you to understand, when I say your, your salesman should close closer to 70 and not 55, I'm talking about once you have what I call a mature company, you have seasoned marketers and seasoned salesmen. This guy was a salesman for four years and his marketer was a marketer for three years. And he was closing at 55%. When I showed the owner what other companies are doing at 70, 72, 75% closing ratios, he almost lost his lunch because he did the math and he started figuring out that extra 20% closing ratio definitely meant another million dollars. And in mitigation, that's an incredible profit that was going out of his pocket. So his marketer was doing an incredibly good job and wasn't getting credit. And his salesmen were doing an incredibly bad job and getting credit because the owner was not looking at the right KPIs. So you need to look at closing percentage. And how do we assess closing percentage? If the job, when it comes in, sounds like something that can be closed, that counts as a lead. If the job that comes in and says, um, yeah, I'm a homeowner and I already had somebody do the mitigation and I just want you to come out and I want you to take a look at the wall and I want you to see if the plastic is okay. That's not really a lead. That's not something that has the potential to provide you with revenue. But if a homeowner says, yeah, I had a flood, the little trap underneath my sink broke and some water went all over the, the, the inside of the cabinets and it came out to the kitchen floor and now my wood floors seem like they're buckling a little bit. That sure as hell sounds like a lead to me. That counts. If that job doesn't get closed, that counts as a lead and not a job. So that counts in the closing percentage, okay? So don't be very liberal in saying, oh, the homeowner was a jerk and they were going to get quotes. No, don't go with any of those excuses that salesmen will tell you as to why they couldn't close. Because I'm here to tell you, I work with salesmen every day of the week. If salesmen are left to tell you what their closing ratio is and they get to exclude the ones that they could have never closed, they're going to say that they're batting 100. They're never going to admit that there was something that was closable that they didn't close. So don't leave it up to them. Set a very strong criteria for that KPI.
but you have to measure that closing percentage. And then finally, if you happen to be a company whose salesman provides the homeowner with an estimate or a quote, and that's what's used to determine whether or not they're signing, you need to be able to measure what the average estimate slash proposal is. I'm here to tell you that the vast majority of salesmen that I work with around the country underscope jobs because they truly don't believe that what we're offering is worth what we deserve to get paid. They do the adjuster's work for them. I'm in the middle of working with a company right now who does that exact process and their, their salesman is closing at 71%. So that looks good. The closing ratios look really good. His on time is fantastic. He's usually on a job within 45 minutes. So those two are great. But his average estimate that he's signing jobs up for is $4,250. He is the lowest of anybody I work with by over $1,500. The next closest guy is $5,700. He's at $4,250. And when I work with him, his excuse to me or his reason to me is, well, in this area, nobody has any kind of real money. So if I give them a price of six or $7,000, they are never going to sign with me. Well, number one, we all know that a vast majority of the work we do goes through insurance. So whether you quote somebody $4,000 or $7,000, they're only responsible for their deductible. And the office will then fight on collecting the money on the back end with the insurance company. And we're going to talk about that when we get to um, number four in the series here of measuring our KPIs. But the salesman is using that as an excuse because he is not good enough or capable enough or confident enough to look that homeowner in the eye and convince the homeowner that we are offering a $7,000 service and not a $4,000 service. He has said on more than one occasion, I don't believe that what we're offering is worth $1,000. So I think I'm really ripping the customer off by giving him a quote of $4,000. You understand how bad that mindset is. We all laugh at that, but I promise you that mindset's going on in your company if you've got someone giving estimates or quotes up front. We need to train that out of the salesman. And if we can't, we need to find a new salesman. We need to find a guy who sells roofs or windows. Because somebody who sells roofs or windows understands $15,000, $20,000 for a homeowner is no big deal. And guess what? No, Those things are very rarely, if ever, covered by insurance. So we know these people are telling the homeowner a price for a service that they understand the value of, where most times the homeowner is forking over the money themselves. Those are great salesmen to bring in. So in closing, let's just review. Never once did I talk about the total revenue for the year. Yes, the total revenue for you for the year becomes a byproduct of everything else I talked about, but that's why I'm not using that as the measuring stick. I'm using all the others. We're going to first measure the on-time response rate because if he doesn't show up on time, you're losing a lot of jobs because of his inability to keep the word of the homeowner. You're an emergency response company. You need to treat it as an emergency. Number two, you have to track his closing percentage and you have to be pretty severe about 
what you think is a closable lead. If it sounds good, it's a closable lead. End of story. Don't consider him an 80% closer if he's telling you why he doesn't think something shouldn't have been counted. You determine that. Have a set criteria. He's got to be at 70. He's, I don't care if he's bringing in $10 million. If he's closing at 55, he's not doing his job. And then finally, if he's giving estimates or quotes or proposals, make sure that number coincides with what is what I consider to be a fair and reasonable amount of money for water damage mitigation. And as long as you're not on programs, that number should be close to $6,000 right now, guys. If you're living in certain parts of the country where the cost of living is higher or where there's a higher minimum wage, that number is much, much higher. Thank you so much for joining me for what I will call part two of our four-part series on measuring up. And this was about sales. I look forward to joining you next time when we're going to talk about how to measure the guys out in the field, how to measure your production. Until then, this is Bill Giannone. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day. Bye-bye.